All right, so Matt, we were out running errands and at the store the other day, and I actually noticed that I kept eating candy bars. Like I just kept eating, and she was like, "Where do you keep getting these candy bars from?" And I said, "Look, babe, I've always got a few Twix up my sleeve." <laughs> I did not. I did not see that one coming. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I'm slow today, I guess. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I, I'm I'm worn out. And <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you why. So a couple of weeks ago, and I, I had forgotten to tell you about this, but a couple of weeks ago, Amanda bought some sheep. Okay? Uh-huh. She bought these sheep, and I there's like six of them. And she comes home and she's like, I bought these sheep. And I'm like, why the hell do we need sheep? Right. So we don't have them here. They're at a friend of ours house that, you know, lives out towards Castaigne Spring. Mm -hmm. But we're having to go out there and take care of them. Yeah. And so today was my day. So I go out there and. You know, I'm out there and I'm, I'm feeding them and everything and they're kind of roaming around. And one of them just starts acting just really, really weird. I was like, what is it? It's shaking and stuff. And then it kind of falls over. And it, it was it was almost like it was choking on something. Mm -hmm. So I ran over there and I'm trying to, to figure out what's going on. And I saved it. I saved this sheep. I had to do sheep PR. Oh God! <laughs> yep. You know, as soon as you said sheep, I went. There's something fishy about this. So, I can tell on your face that like, he's not buying this at all. <laughs> nope. <laughs> because I know he knows me too well that yeah. I was like, "Look, I ain't buying no." No, sheep. I was gonna say I know you wouldn't buy any sheep, and I know if Amanda did, she would have told Ashley that she bought yeah. sheep. That's right. So. <laughs> Y'all already had about four hundred pictures of our sheep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which. Remind this me. This is why he does the dad joke. Because <laughs> this is what you get from me. Yeah. <laughs> well, remind me on the Patreon, and I will tell you a sheep joke that is inappropriate for a main episode. <laughs> but I can get away with it on there. <laughs> so, on that note, we would... Uh, We'd like to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find some different shows to listen to. You can find some tricks and tips on recording a podcast. And we're proud to be members of the Podbelly Network. Um, also want to thank tonight's sponsors, Raycon and Acorn TV. And we'll talk a little bit more about them later. 
And I wanted to say I apologize that it has taken us this long to say this, but thank you to the people who sent us Christmas cards. Mm-hmm. Um, we just haven't got around to thanking you guys yet. We did get them. Um, thank you also to the one that sent us the naughty one the, with no return address. <laughs> it was postmarked California, so I know you're in California, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, wait. The, I've the already naughty st- ones. The naughty uh, cards usually come from uh, what Finland, isn't, isn't that? Uh, yeah, isn't that where we get the 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 naughty ones from? Usually, yeah. It, it's um, uh, we usually get them from from that area there. But uh, I've already stalked this person's Instagram, so I know they <laughs> drew the card themselves. Um. And I have to say, it, it's uh, it's a unique Christmas card and uh, very uh, very artistic. So thank you for sending that. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to show a picture of it on the video, but I <laughs> uh, just want to say thank you guys for sending those to us. Uh, we do appreciate uh, the cards and all that and uh, appreciate y'all saying Merry Christmas to us, even though it took us this long to say thank you. Um, so Matt, I don't really have anything else, um, but I was going to say, I don't normally, um, have all this here, but I forgot to clean off my desk between research and recording, but this is some of our, um, uh, uh, resources for tonight's episode. If y'all are wondering the encyclopedia of cryptozoology, mysterious creatures, a guide to cryptozoology and cryptozoology A to Z from Lauren (laughs) Coleman. So, Matt, on that note, why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Well, if you hadn't figured out by now, we're going to talk about a cryptid. Yes. <laughs> but maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not a cryptid, but um, we're going we're gonna to look into uh, the rock ape of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And I, I had never heard of this. Believe it or not, I, I had not never heard of a rock ape. Um, I've heard of other ape, but not this one. And so when I started looking into it, I was just I was shocked at some of the stories, not necessarily shocked at the stories, but I was shocked at the amount and that I had never heard of it. I mm-hmm. had never come across this. Um, but of course, you know, Adam, Adam is the cryptid guy. So, you know, he, he knows, he knows stuff that he could probably sit here and rattle off a dozen that I've never heard of. (laughs) Yeah. It's (laughs) it's a, it's a bad addiction I have, but it comes in handy for this show, I think. But, uh, but when we're, we're going to look into this, this, the rock ape and, and I promise you by the, by the end of this show, you're going to, you're going to probably be thinking on the same wavelength we are. Okay. That. This thing's probably real. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we talk about a lot of stuff where we're like, well, we really don't know. But, yep. you know, I think you're going to believe uh, this thing exists. Uh, yep. So um, it's very it's very interesting because the majority of the stories come uh, from uh, GIs that served in Vietnam mm-hmm. uh, during the, the Vietnam War. Um, and that that may have been where the the most sightings occurred because that's when people were out in the jungle. Right. And, and 
those were the stories that would make it back to us where the people in in vietnam may have been seeing them you know a long time before that but those stories wouldn't have made it to us right yeah we're talking about and they were um you know we're talking about little small villages in and around the jungles of vietnam these locals they they're telling stories among themselves they're not spreading news mm-hmm. they're not watching cnn you know they don't care right so these you're right these stories wouldn't have made it to the us without the us soldiers that were there so but it's um I, I want to say it's pretty interesting. I think I always say that these shows are interesting. This is um, this is interesting to me because of why we don't why we don't have solid evidence that they do exist yet. Right. And we're gonna we're gonna get into that because that that makes this story even more curious. So yeah, and it um, it upsets me a little bit. You and I were talking I about it beforehand, and I'm I'm <laughs> a little bit perturbed by why we don't have decent evidence. All right, so so enough of the teasers. Um, let let's let's dig into it. So Adam, tell us uh, tell us about the the rock ape. All right. So as we always say, go check our sources down at the bottom of the show notes. Uh, you can find all the sources we used and are reading from and all that. And three of them are going to be books in my library. So if you see those at the top of the sources, go grab you those books. They're they're worth it if you're into cryptozoology. Um, but the rock apes, also known as Vietnamese rock apes, the rock apes of Vietnam, the Ujit or the Batututut, are a group of allegedly violent humanoids reportedly sighted multiple times during the Vietnam War, which was from 1955 to 1975. Now, these creatures were seen not only by American GIs, but also the Viet Cong and the NVA troops. So all three groups were seeing these along with the Vietnamese people who lived Mm -hmm. in and around the jungles. And, um, we we will probably refer we'll refer to them as either rock apes or the batut toot several times in this episode um because those are those are the ones that are most commonly used for this and if you're going to look it up in any reference uh that is not the internet then you need to look it up by the batut toot that's how it's classified in most books that i have seen mm. Um, now, rock apes were described as hairy Sasquatch-like humanoids, and they were said to be from three to seven feet tall. They were stout, very muscular, and with uh, some that had protruding stomachs. So they looked kind of like me with a beer gut. <laughs> That's right. They were they were beer bellies. Exactly. You know? They large, hairy, with a slight beer gut. They they're my cousins. Um, and they all talk like this, even living in Vietnam. They're like, you know, that Adam feller, he moved over to the U S all right. Um, now it says their hair ranged from red to orange, to brown, to black in color, covering everywhere except for their knees, the soles of their feet, the palms of their hands and their face. So, I mean, this sounds like most other apes. 
most mm-hmm. other ape species where their faces, their hands, their feet are not covered. Now, the knees is a new one that um, I haven't heard, but I mean, I, I there may be I, some genetic or, or uh, evolutionary advantage to that. Yeah, I, I came across the knees a couple of times. Um, best I can figure is that you're right. It must be some type of uh, evolutionary thing that they're better suited for living in the jungle and right. foraging. Yeah. With, uh, you know, without without hair on their hands or on their knees. And it may be something where they they crawled around at foraging. Mm-hmm. And over time, they developed a, a loss of hair on their knees yeah. and on their hands and on their, you know, lo- their lower legs and feet. Mm-hmm. Never know. And we may not until we get a species, but it says the feet, uh, I mean, a specimen, not a species, whatever. I, I caught <laughs> myself quick. Don't, we don't know, at me on Twitter. What you were talking about. Yeah, well, somebody'd still tweet me on Twitter about it and say, "You said species, and you meant specimen." I know I'm stupid. Leave me alone. <laughs> now, this says the feet of the rock apes are said to look like deformed human feet. Um, they're similar to that uh, photographed 1960 Yeti footprint in the Himalayan mountains of Nepal. So you yeah. know that one that the toe is pointed weird, mm-hmm. kind of off to the side. That's apparently what most of these um, footprints look like. Now, it says people have said that they are nocturnal and that they feed on river snails using rocks to break open the shells. Many have said these creatures can be violent and attack humans in the forest and kill them to eat their livers. One source says about their behavior that rock apes are said to live very deep in the jungle which results in a fearlessness of man, and they do not shy away from human contact. Um, but I got to jump in, and, and this is like a few other cryptids that we've talked about where it is, it'll get put into books, and it'll say, sources say they feed on this using this. Well, if we don't have specimens, if we don't have someone that has observed them for long periods of time, like the gorillas or or mm-hmm. other apes in the jungle, how do we know? You know, I, I think there's they could be seeing evidence of the feeding or making an assumption because of other creatures that live there. But I, I don't know that we can definitively say they feed on snails using rocks to crack open their shells. Uh, unless they found an abundance of river snails with their no snail and broken shells. Yeah. And understand river snails are not like what you find when you move a rock in your backyard. Right. They're they're good size. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be minimum the size of those mystery snails that you get in your tank. Fish yeah. tank. Yeah. So they're go they're they're going to be from that size larger. Yep. Um so it would be a reasonable food source. Sure. And I guess if they're seeing evidence of these shells being cracked, they're assuming that something's eating it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at what the known uh, wildlife is in that area, you'd think, 
okay, the only thing that's going to be able to crack this shell and eat it and not just have to eat the shell too is going to be some type of primate. Yeah, something with opposable thumbs that can do that. Yeah, and and gibbons are are native to that area, mm-hmm. so, but you know if they know enough about gibbon behavior, then they would know. Okay, the gibbons don't eat the snails. Right, right. So they, I mean that that would be the only way I could see that they would assume that at this point. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But this goes on to say that prior to American troop presence, it was said that rock apes would sometimes walk up to and sit beside villagers. Quote, the forest people, as they called them, even had the ability to start fires for their own purposes. Now, post-American presence, however, they were known to throw rocks, hence the name rock apes, and even return grenades when thrown at them. And I know Matt will talk about some experiences there with the GIs and the rock apes. But uh, the creatures would also yell and shake their fist in anger at the troops in a reportedly human-like manner. So they they have very human-like traits where they know how to start fire. They you know can they can use the fire and then they retaliate and they shake their fist at you like an old man telling you to get off their lawn. <laughs> get off my jungle. Yeah. You get out of my jungle, whippersnapper. Now, this says that tales exist of vicious attacks and other violent acts. Some exchanges resulting in gruesome human deaths by being torn limb from limb and having guts ripped out. Uh, seemingly, if the creature is avoided, it will not instigate malice. But if any action is taken against it, um, it's any anything other than peaceful interaction, then the human party will probably pay in blood is what this says. Um, it says they they're also thought to live in troops rather than living a solitary existence. So rather than Bigfoot, where we see only one at a time, Mm-hmm. These are thought to be more of a group setting like you would see gibbons monkeys or mm-hmm. gorillas in mm-hmm. in the, the right. jungles and stuff. So mm-hmm. they exhibit more of that primate behavior than Bigfoot do. Now, let's talk about their tracks for a second. And it says their tracks are said to be around six inches in length and about four inches in width. Their toes and heels are said to be human-like, but the soles are too short and broad to be a human's foot. And the big toe is said to be on the opposite side of the arch of the foot. So like we were saying, it's more to the side and and at the not like the opposite side of the foot where the big toe is on the far outside of the foot, but go back a little ways. And it's more like a monkey who would climb in the trees needing that type of grip with its Mm -hmm. feet Mm -hmm. rather than a fully terrestrial ape like a gorilla. So I don't know if that toe is able to be used like that, like some monkeys that climb trees do, but it's positioned more like that. And I know we will talk about this here in a second, but I have to say, and and I'll tease to it. That's a very 
early hominid trait. As we were evolving from tree dwellers to landlubbers and such, <laughs> um, that toe was still toward the back like a tree-dwelling ape would be, rather right. than migrating to the front for stability and walking. Now, this is from uh, the Encyclopedia of Cryptozoology, and it says that British zoologist John McKinnon, later renowned for his discoveries of new mammals in Vietnam's Vukang Nature Reserve, found a trail of Batutut footprints in 1969. The prints were six inches long and four inches wide, like we talked about, and man-like at the toe and heel, but, like we said, with soles too short and flat for human feet. Now, this, this next part comes from Lauren Coleman's book, Cryptozoology A to Z, and it's uh, McKinnon's description of his reaction to this find. And it says, uh, McKinnon initially, uh, McKinnon's initial reaction tells us much about how mainstream scientists often deal with evidence of cryptids. Quote, I stopped dead, he would later write in his book. Uh, later write in his book, In the Search of the Red Ape. Um, he says, my skin crept and I felt a strong desire to head home. But McKinnon pressed on, noting that, quote, farther ahead, I saw tracks and went to examine them. I found two dozen footprints in all, but was quite happy to abandon my quest and shelter under a leaning tree trunk waiting out a sudden rainstorm. McKinnon later related uh, that Batutu footprints uh, had a lasting impact on him, saying, quote, I was uneasy when I found them, and I didn't want to follow them and find out what was at the end of the trail. I knew no animal that we know about could make those tracks. Without deliberately avoiding the area, I realized that I never went back to that place in the following months of my studies. So my question is, what could we have possibly learned or discovered if he hadn't stopped looking? Right. And why does it seem to be what a lot of mainstream scientists do? If it doesn't fit their paradigm, then they don't pursue the research, the evidence, or the findings yeah. of something like this. Now, not well, all, but uh, most of them. Yeah. Well, I think in McKinnon's case, he was scared. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think fear kept him from pushing forward. Uh, definitely, that's what he describes in his book. But even though he says he did not deliberately not go back, almost like he put it out of his mind. He didn't want to go back. So he just kind of naturally forgot about it. Yeah. To use um, a Graveyard Tales quote, he probably pooped himself. <laughs> yeah, I would say. But I, I think that that right there and, and you know, I'd. I don't fault McKinnon in this, you know, for being afraid. What Where I think the fault would lie is if you didn't want to go, share your research to somebody that might. Yep. Um, yep. Because, you know, now we're, we're at a point where it's too dangerous. Yeah. I mean, it's legitimately too dangerous to go and, and search through these areas because of, 
you know, problems left behind from the, the war. You know, there's landmines all through that jungle. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, and that's on top of the dangerous animals that are there. Um, yep. you know, that's led Adam and I to go, the Vietnamese jungle wants to kill you. Oh, it does. You no, know, there's, there's everything. Even the, even the plants yep. are dangerous. I've so, got a section even talking about the plants <laughs> that, uh, I, I mean, that place is ridiculous. So yeah. like you said, I don't blame him much, but it still irks me a little bit that he either didn't go back to that spot or take someone back to that spot that maybe had more cojones than he did to follow that into the jungle. Right. Now, Lauren Coleman said that uh, the Batut Toot is a nocturnal proto-pygmy that's similar to Nepal's uh, Telma, which is a small, like, Bigfoot-type creature. Um. But before we get into the sightings, one of the things that we need to look at is the area where they live. Right. And one of the places that had so many rock ape sightings, they dubbed Monkey Mountain there in Vietnam. Now, Monkey Mountain is a mountain and peninsula range located on Son Tra Peninsula in Son Tra District, District Da Nang, Vietnam. Now, it's overlooking the Bay of Da Nang and the East Sea. So it's right there kind of on the coast. Uh, Monkey Mountain was a prominent observation base during the American-Vietnam War, housing two radar domes that are now taken over by the Vietnamese military as well as a helicopter pad. Um, and if you search Monkey Mountain in Vietnam, you, you'll see pictures of that base with the radar domes and everything. Mm-hmm. But that just goes to show you that there were troops right there in the midst of where these creatures are supposed to live. Um, now, the mountain is covered and surrounded by jungle, and there are some amazing but scary things in the jungles of Vietnam, like Matt was mentioning. Now, the creepy crawlers of the jungle have the space and the food necessary to grow to insane levels. Now, one is a Scolopendra subspinipus um, or the Vietnamese centipede. It's also called the Chinese redhead or the jungle centipede. Now it's extremely aggressive and it's venomous bite hurts like hell sources say. Um, it's a large species which can grow up to 20 centimeters, which is 7.87 inches in length. But in 2018, a far larger specimen was actually recovered in Hawaii by a man named Clayton Cambra, who captured what appeared to be one of these um, Vietnamese centipedes. And it measured an astonishing 36.6 centimeters or 14.4 inches in length. Good Lord. So if you can imagine a centipede at that at that scale, we're talking like this, you know, 14 something inches, it's going to be probably as wide as my finger is. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever seen a regular centipede, just a normal centipede, you can get here in the U.S. in the deserts and stuff. Those things are quick. They're aggressive. 
their bite hurts mm-hmm. and they're strong. So if you can only imagine one of these centipedes getting just seven inches long, that's insane and could probably catch and kill birds. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And these things were apparently, I mean, they were a nuisance to the GIs there. Because if you were sleeping out in the jungle, you'd have these things crawling on your cot and on your head. And I mean, I just, I get the willies thinking about that, man. Oh, I yeah. Just, I, I can't, man. I can't. Um, now, this says that Vietnam's most beautiful trees and flowers are also its deadliest. They've got heartbreak grass, flame lilies, twisted cord flowers, and bark cloth trees are all powerful enough to kill a human or cause blindness upon contact or accidental ingestion, which is more common than you might think. So some of these, if you just touch it, it's going to inject um, a, a venom type in you. Um, and and you'll be you dead. pretty sick. Yeah, yeah. If it, it doesn't can, kill you. Right. Um, now from a, we are the mighty article about what troops encountered in Vietnam jungles. It says that, uh, troops in Vietnam were sometimes lifted right up out of troop carriers and other vehicles by low hanging vines that seemed innocent at first, but as soon as they were touched, they constricted around an unsuspecting driver, grabbing them by the arm or the neck. They became known as the wait a minute vines. So the these vines, if you touched them or bumped them, they would constrict. And they would, if you ran into them, they would constrict around you mm-hmm. and hang you, basically. En- enough to pull you out of a vehicle. Yes. Yep. I mean, like you're riding in an open air Jeep mm-hmm. and, and you run through these hanging low and yep. it, it, it tangled you up. The Jeep kept going and you stayed behind. Yep. Just lift and you right up by the seat. If you think that's impossible, just look at Venus flytraps. They uh-huh. have a mechanism that does the same thing. Um, and there is a, a type of fern mm-hmm. that if you touch it, the leaves fold up on itself. Mm-hmm. And they basically just become a twig. And then after a while, they'll relax and go back down. So it's basically the same type of reaction that a Venus flytrap has, but it's in a vine and it's large enough to suck up a human. So you could be walking around there and try to push your way through some overgrown thing and you end up up in the tree by one of these wait a minute vines. Yeah. And it's probably one of those situations where as you struggle and you pull and tug, it constricts Mm -hmm. more. Yeah, most likely, most likely. You know, so you're sitting there panicking, trying to get away from this thing, and it's just squeezing around you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the other things, talking about squeezing, is uh, they have a lot of snakes in Vietnam. Vietnam has so many snakes that American troops were advised to just assume that they were all deadly, because most of them are. Now, the country is filled with cobras, crates, vipers, and so many more. And the snakes that weren't venomous were all giant constrictors, which were still capable of murdering you in your jungle sleep. 
<laughs> God. So it's either going to be a giant snake or a little deadly snake. I don't know yep. which is worse. Yep. I, I would rather go with the giant uh, constrictor than one of the little wiggly venomous things. Cause yeah, because I mean, I would, there, there are crates that are tiny mm-hmm. and deadly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Less than a foot long, like six inches or less. Mm-hmm. And they can they can put you down quickly. Um, I would think, though, I would have a better shot at getting away from a constrictor than a deadly snake because I could either shoot it or stab it, hopefully, if it didn't immediately yeah. wrap my arms up. But either way, I, I don't want to deal with that. But it says Southeast Asia is also home to an aggressive tiger species, leopards and bears. And those are just the traditional predators. There are also elephants, water buffalo, guars, giant cows who will go on murdering rampages that an M16 isn't likely to stop. Giant cows. Mm-hmm. That's it. Giant cows. Yep. That's all I got on it. I, don't, I, don't. <laughs> I, I got mean, nothing else. Come on, people. Giant cows. Yep. No wonder McKinnon was scared. He's like, yeah, the, no the stuff I know about around yeah. here is bad. That this unknown thing, whoa, it's yeah. it's liable to eat me whole. I was gonna say it, it, and it it may be worse. It may take you back to its lair and eat you piece by piece. Oh yeah, that that'd be even worse. So I'd rather be swallowed whole and do a Jonah and the whale type thing than. <laughs> All right, Adam, let's take a minute and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, Raycon. Now, I got to tell you, I've worn headphones since I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I've had every kind you can imagine under the sun. Yep. I will fight you for my Raycons. Yeah, no joke. I mean, these are the absolute best earbuds I have ever used. I mean, they are phenomenal. And you absolutely can't beat the value you get with Raycon earbuds. I mean, you look at, look at the market today. Look at how much uh, these quote-unquote higher-end earbuds will cost. I mean, you're, you're pushing well over $200 for a lot of these, you know, bigger name brand uh, products and yet Raycon makes a product for a reasonable price that knocks them out of the park. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Raycon wireless earbuds are uh, they're the best for however you want to shake things up. And literally, no matter how much you shake, you know they're not going to fall out. Because we go to the gym. Now, all three of us, me, Ashley, and Michael, all have Raycon earbuds. Uh, Michael got a pair for Christmas because they're just that great, and we all love them. I'm in them all the time, all day long. Like if I'm working, doing research, whatever, I've got one in. You know, if we go to the gym, I can put both of them in. We all wear them at the gym. We'll be running on the treadmill. They don't fall out. You're doing weights, all that kind of stuff. They don't fall out. Um, I've worn them even when went skateboarding. And 
I'm not that good at skateboarding anymore. It's been many years since I've done it. So I fall a lot. And even when I fall, they stay in my ears. Yeah. But the everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. And there's also an awareness mode for when you need to listen to your surroundings. So you can take Raycons with you wherever you go. With optimized gel tips for perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge. Like I was saying, you can fall on a skateboard and they're going to stay in your ears. So if you do any type of physical activity, these are the ones you want. They're better than cans going over your ears and they're so much better than any of the competitor brands because those fall out, you lose them, and they don't sound as good. And Raycons offer eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. So just the earbuds last for eight hours, but you, your little battery case, it charges them, and you've got yeah. 32 hours in that case. So you can take it with you on a weekend trip That's and right. not have to worry about charging them. Yeah, I can use mine every day and only have to charge them maybe once a week. And they're so easy to charge. You can charge the case with a USB-C cable or you can charge them wirelessly just by setting them down on your wireless charger. It can't get any more convenient than that. No, it can't. And they're priced just right. You get the quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. And it's no wonder that Raycon's Everyday Earbuds have over 48,000 five-star reviews. And right now, Graveyard Tales listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order. All you got to do is go to buyraycon.com slash tales. That's buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash T-A-L-E-S and you get 15% off. That's right, Adam. You can buy go to buyraycon.com slash tails to save 15% on your Raycon earbuds. That's buyraycon.com slash tails. But if that's not unsettling enough, Matt has some unsettling stories about encounters with the batut toot right and you know we talked about all so many of these stories come from american gis that were stationed in vietnam during the war um but the earliest possible sighting of uh the rock ape or the batut toot was in august of 1947 and this was when a french colonist reported coming across what he described as Le Homme Sauvage, or a wild man, which his report says, said in the silent march, the head of the column had surprised and disturbed a, quote, savage man. It was neither an animal nor a monkey, but a rather big wild man who walks upright, eats fruits, insects, and whatever he could catch. Unlike the monkey, it was the subject of a food ban from all the tribes. So just to address some of the, the language in the translation there, the, the, the column he's referring to was the, the little troop that, that he had with him, um, the, the line, as you would. Um, 
and I, I didn't understand the food ban thing, but I think because the the they had a tendency to steal food from nearby villages and whatnot, that they were banned from just being allowed to wander in there. Now, what yeah. they were going to do to stop them, it doesn't say. Um, but, you know, it, apparently it was somewhat of a problem. Yeah, so, I mean, I can oh, see that. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I would consider it a problem, too. Yeah. Now, um, the story went on to say that th- this particular uh, creature lived alone, but sometimes at night he would be heard calling out for like a, a mate. And it was really hard for them to see him because he was dark colored. And, but the fact that they found him at all, just, you know, they celebrated it. Yeah. You know, that, you know, this was, and, and I'm still referring to this, uh, the sighting in 1947. Now, one of the most common stories that comes when, when you start looking into the Batutu, it involves a troop of American soldiers that were hiking back to their base. Now, they had come within about two or three miles of camp, but they were still pretty wary of uh, an enemy ambush because the Viet Cong soldiers had taken to attacking GIs that were on their way back to base when they were tired and battle-worn. So as the troop moved along, a group of enemy soldiers hidden in the jungle opened fire on them. The Americans quickly dropped to the ground and returned fire. And now looking around and taking a quick head count, it showed that none of the American soldiers had been hit. It was starting to get dark, so the soldiers knew that their muzzle uh, fire would give away their position sure. to these enemy troops that were uh, in the jungle. So the firing had slowed down so that they wouldn't give away. They, if they took a shot, they were shooting to kill. And, and so when it got quiet, one of the soldiers noticed this large hulking figure stand up next to him. He thought it was a bush. Okay. They've been crouching next to this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He said he described it as being at least seven feet tall, muscular and covered in matted hair. He said it ran away through the jungle in huge bounding leaps. Now, the sighting shocked the Americans so much that they almost forgot that they were in the middle of a firefight. Right. Then they heard this alarmed cry from the Viet Cong soldiers, and the Americans heard them shouting a word repeatedly. One of the Viet Cong soldiers fired on the creature, and the American soldiers reported seeing it get struck several times, but it just kept going. Now, the distraction from the creature allowed the American troops to escape the ambush and make it back to their base. So when they got back, the American GIs told their commanding officer about the attack and the strange creature they had seen. And they asked if they could go back and investigate the area where the ambush happened. Now, when they got back to the area, the Americans found the body of a Viet Cong soldier, which had been savagely mauled, with this look of horror frozen on his face. I always love that when they yeah. add the look of horror on his face. Right. Um, 
that was that's probably added in. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Look how scared this guy was when he died. Yeah. Um, but further investigation showed that there wasn't a single bullet wound on his body. Hmm. So he, he wasn't shot by any of them. Right. Something else got him. Now, the locals informed the troops that the creature was called the Batutut, and these, quote, jungle people were known to live deep in the Vietnamese jungle. Hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's not more detailed account in this story of who they were, any names, any, yeah. you know, platoon numbers, anything like that. You don't get any of that. So it's, it's more or less anecdotal and it may be one of these stories that's just gotten passed down, you know, over time, but there's more to that. This is just kind of the most famous one. Yeah. Now, another encounter comes from an infantry platoon out of the 101st Airborne. Uh, the platoon had stopped for lunch when they noticed a large group of upright figures coming out of the jungle at the at the Nui Motau Ridge. Now, they immediately thought that they were Viet Cong soldiers. Sure. So the Americans opened fire. Now, the figures rushed into the jungle for cover, but it appeared they weren't running away. They were taking position to rush the, sh- the soldiers when there was a break in the fire. They even rose up to bark and howl at the soldiers, and some reported that they were able to see long white fangs. Oh, wow. So that's when the soldiers realized that they weren't shooting at humans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so once the creatures had gone, the soldiers, uh, soldiers searched the area, but they weren't able to come up with any, any dead bodies or anything. Hmm. Now, this next account is of an all-out battle between American GIs and the Rock Apes, and it took place on Hill 868 in Nam Province. Now, this story says a unit of Marines were deep in the jungle and had radioed back to headquarters that they had spotted movement in the jungle near their position. They were given orders to hold their position, not to engage and just observe in order to not give themselves away. Now, after a few minutes, the Marines radioed back saying that they were surrounded by what looked like hairy, bipedal, humanoid creatures. That would be a weird call to get. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, you're you're on the other end of this radio talking to troops out in the field, and they're like, okay, look, I know you're not going to believe this, this but... That there is tall, hairy people surrounding us, and you're like, "Yeah, what what kind of jungle plant have you gotten into while you're out there?" <laughs> and that's pretty much what headquarters thought at first. <laughs> okay, so their HQ assumed that the soldiers were seeing gibbons that were common in that area. Now, hmm. understand. Gibbons aren't that tall. No. Okay. Um, you know, Gibbons, what, about three, four feet tall. Yeah. And um, they got really long arms. Really long arms. You know, when you when, when you see the, um, 
when you see the images of these jungle primates and you see one that's just hanging down, swinging, you know, just sitting there, and it's not an orangutan, it's a, it's a gibbon. Yep. They're, they're the yep. ones that make the whoop, 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 whoop yep. sound. Yeah. And if they're out there playing guitar, that's a Billy Gibbons. <laughs> Those are rare. <laughs> they're pretty rare. They're pretty rare. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Sorry. <laughs> so what the what HQ told them to do was throw rocks at them and and scare them away. Oh, yeah. So that didn't scare them away. No. But it, it made them mad. <laughs> and so they started throwing rocks back at the soldiers. So over the radio, HQ starts hearing uh, shouts and these inhuman screams and gunfire. So a patrol was sent to reinforce the unit. But what they found was a battlefield littered with injured Marines and many dead rock apes. Unfortunately, no evidence was recovered from the scene, and the story completely relies on eyewitness accounts. But let's let's stop for a second and, and think about this. Now, you know, Adam and I, I, I was I was born in 1974. The war was coming to an end when I was born. So mm-hmm. I have no firsthand knowledge of what it was like in Vietnam, but I have talked to plenty of people that were there and I have yep. talked to plenty of people that were there and won't talk about it. Oh yeah. hundred okay? percent. So it was not, it, it, it was not good. No, you know, the, the, the Adam talked about, you know, just the fact that they're out in the jungle. Um, you've got 18, 19, 20 year olds, you know, that have been taken from the U S and they're planted in a jungle they're all these strange animals that they've probably never seen. Not some of them, not even in a, in a book. Mm-hmm. And so here they are and, and they're dealing with these, these ambushes and landmines and all this horrible, horrifying, terrible stuff. And they're all afraid that they're never going to see us soil again. Right. It may not have been on any of their minds to go, Hey, we should start taking photographs and all this other stuff and collecting all this info. They're not scientists, they're soldiers and they're kids on top of that. Yeah. I can guarantee you it was just a, uh, recovery rescue recovery mission at that point. It was like, these are not our troops. Leave them, grab our guys. Let's get back to base. And you know what? Those guys probably weren't even thinking this is a species that no one has ever seen before sure yeah they're just thinking this is another one of these animal primate or a jungle primates that Mm -hmm. we have to deal with on top of giant snakes deadly snakes huge centipedes and Viet Cong soldiers yep so I, I don't you know when when you hear things like that it's usually and the Bigfoot came and had tea with me and unbelievably my camera battery was dead yeah, right. It's not one of those. Okay, you know, the, the, these these guys had legitimate reasons to have not collected any of this. Yeah, bigger and more important things to deal with than exactly. getting a specimen of some jungle creature. Exactly. 
So, so it, 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 it makes sense to me that there's not a lot of, of evidence other than eyewitness accounts that come from, you know, American troops. Now, Craig P. Craig P. Jorgensen shared an eyewitness account in his book, Strange But True Stories of the Vietnam War. Now, this is this is a quote. It was a hot day. The six men from the 101st Airborne Division were taking a break in the middle of a mountainous jungle when the event took place. They had been carrying 100 pounds of equipment under the unforgiving sun in a mosquito-infested environment full of unfamiliar sounds and views that were nothing like the American soldiers were used to in their native land. Despite the momentary resting time, they kept their five senses on, for they were aware that the Viet Cong could have very well tracked them, something the natives were exceedingly good at. Suddenly, according to the man, a few small trees located 15 yards uphill began clearly shaking. The soldiers had trained for this, and they got ready for combat to fight the expected VC soldiers, jumping out of the bushes. They they did not imagine what they were going to see next. A long cucumber-shaped head showed up. That's the first time we've heard that description. Yeah. The face, the soldier said, was covered in red hair with a patch of dark eyes and a huge mouth. The creature then stepped out of the vegetation into a clearing, allowing the group to observe the rest of its muscular body, which was also featured by the same type of red hair. The purported cryptid wasn't taller than five feet and walked upright. It stopped, looked at them as though scrutinizing each each of each one of them. And one of the soldiers said, what the hell is that? Another one said, it's a rock ape. And then the third guy said, no, it ain't. I've seen rock apes and that sure as hell isn't a rock ape. The warriors didn't take their eyes off the creature. And another one said, I think it's an orangutan. The other one said, well, if it is, he can't read a map. There are no orangutans in Vietnam. Okay. (laughs) So there is a chance that this story is talking about something completely different. Yeah, Um, it's possible. But it, I I think what it is, is just like with, you know, most primates there, there are considerable differences in the same species. And, you know, as far as whether it be size or hair color or body shape. Um, So this one had a a cucumber shaped head, which I I think what they is like the end of a cucumber. Like it didn't have a neck. Okay, it just came up a long, rounded shaped head. I mean, you know, if it's like what it it looked like he had a banana for a head. You know what? It's like real long, skinny head. Like one of those English cucumbers that's wrapped in cellophane (laughs) all the time. Yeah, I don't think that's what it meant. (laughs) Um, But that's that's an interesting point that we haven't brought up is that orangutans were are not native to Vietnam, and there's no orangutans known to be in Vietnam, especially in in this area of the jungle. So what they were seeing was not an orangutan. In any of these cases. Right. Certainly not multiples. You know, it's not like, you know, Clint Eastwood went to visit and Clyde got loose from. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's not like you would have troops of orangutan attack, attacking American soldiers in that, 
you know, right. the, the story prior to this one. You're not going to have a bunch of orangutans attacking and being able to kill that many soldiers mm-hmm. who were armed to the teeth. Right. Now, in, in our tireless search for more information on these these topics, we we often will find stories that that don't make it into the typical articles and videos. So I found these stories on an online forum called 24-Hour Campfire. Now, the first one comes from a user called Jim in Idaho, and he writes, My brother was a Marine M60 gunner out of Anhoa in late 1968 through mid-1969, and he spoke of several encounters with what he called rock apes. He never made much of a deal about them being mythical creatures, just some big, strong, reddish monkey that he would, that would occasionally throw rocks at the Marines as they went by on patrol. He said one or more would come into their perimeter and grab sea rations, which no one really disputed them over. Once he was in his hole at night and he heard a thud right next to him. He ducked down thinking it was a grenade, but he figured out later it was a rock ape throwing a rock at him. It was walking up the hill and he opened, uh, opened up his M60 and said he tore that thing to pieces which obviously caused a lot of the other guys to open up and start shooting at it too, thinking it was an enemy attack. In the morning, they found the dead rock ape and the rock next to his hole and figured out what it was. Hmm. And these stories are great because, you, you know, especially when he says he never really made that big of a deal of them being all that mysterious or mythical. They were just, yeah. they, it was like I said, it was another thing the troops had to contend with. Right. Okay. Right. And the point that they, they all commonly knew that they would come in and grab rations and steal them. They just and they let were them just do like, it. whatever, you know, yep. you can have Take that it. stuff. I'm you tired know? of eating that one anyway. You yeah, can have that's it. right. You know, weird stroking off stuff. You can have that. And that that's interesting, too, because in reading that story, it sounds like that not not only did everybody know about them, they were so commonplace that they were ignored to some degree. Mm-hmm. You know, to to let one get close enough to camp that it could steal rations. You're just kind of like, whatever, you know, I I'm not going to kill it. It's going to throw a rock at me, you know, so yep. I'm just going to leave it alone. It's not the enemy, so I'm not going to worry about it. Exactly. Now, this story was posted by user Michigan Roadkill, and he writes, Sometimes we would take a day off out of the 5th Group HQ in Noitrang, which would entail taking a boat out in the bay around Hontre Island. said, we would take a garbage can full of beer, some snacks, spear guns, and 1911s. Now, there were apes on the island cliffs that uh, that were there, and they were referred to as rock apes. said, I believe there was a story in Stars and Stripes that told of them and how dangerous they were. I could not find that particular story. I um, See, I heard about that one, too, and I, I looked, and I couldn't find it either. Yeah. Now, he says, we would shoot at them with 45s from the boat as we cruised around getting wasted but never got up close enough for any close inspection. And I don't remember actually ever hitting one. Hmm. So, you know, the, those two stories, I mean, that 
again, it just seems like, hey, it's commonplace. It's another thing yep. here. Um, Getting drunk, taking pot shots at rock apes. Yeah, but I mean, you know, again, they're not thinking that this is something unusual for this area. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason for them to go back and and be like, oh, we found the mysterious rock ape. There was no mystery then. Yeah. You know, and, you know, as we get into it, I, I don't I, I don't think there's a whole lot of mystery now other than we don't have, you know, a, any, any specimens to, to mm-hmm. study. But what evidence do we have? If we don't have a specimen, we're bound to have something. With eyewitness accounts coming from both sides of the war, Professor Vo Kwai led an expedition in 1974 to investigate their existence. Now, although he didn't discover an actual rock ape, he did photograph and make plaster casts of many strange prints. Now, locals told the professor that the tracks were from the Batutut. The prints did have a striking resemblance to ape prints, as we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. But they were larger, and it was said of these prints that if they were a hoax, they were done by someone who had extensive and detailed knowledge of ape physiology. Which you hear that with Bigfoot prints, too. It's yeah. like if they're hoaxing this stuff, they are well-versed in the anatomy and physiology of apes. Right. So my question on that is, who would hoax this? there right who'd go out into that jungle and pull a hoax maybe somebody will come by and see it right maybe what what good is that gonna do you yeah you're gonna scare a handful of villagers well they they Mm -hmm. weren't scared of them so i don't i don't know i mean i i mean but i i think he's just he's just saying this to 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 stress the point if you think this is a big hoax it it doesn't look like it's a hoax. Right. You know, right. somebody with this much knowledge wouldn't go to this kind of effort to pull right. off, try to pull off a hoax out here. And how many people are going to be just wandering around the jungle <laughs> trying to yeah. hoax something? Yeah. It's a, it's they're like doing it in a national park, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Especially this jungle. Right. That everything wants to kill you. Why, why would you be out there doing that? Right. Professor Tran Hong Viet of... Pedagogic University in Hanoi. He is a, a researcher of the Batutut, and he announced in 1982 that he had found similar footprints to those that McKinnon found in 1970, measuring 28 by 16 centimeters, of which he actually made casts, and uh, he had been making this extensive post-war inventory of natural resources and was collecting specimens near Chumo Ray in Satai in the Satai district. Now, he had a photograph of the cast that he made um, that was actually published by the Fortean News of the World or, or the J- uh, Japan Fortean Information Society. So you can go and look at that cast. You can see the picture of it. Um, you can tell it's not a human footprint. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't match any known ape species. Right. Now, on an episode of Sci-Fi's Destination Truth, Josh Gates and his team went on the search for the Batutut in Vietnam. 
Now, they found several human-like footprints and made a casting of their own in Keybang National Park, which was taken back to the U.S. and later examined by noted Bigfoot researcher and anthropologist Jeffrey Meldrum. Ah, and, Dr. Meldrum. Yep. And he said that the print is a significant discovery and one of the best pieces of evidence that he's ever seen. And he is, uh, he's a um, biologist that knows uh, footprint anatomy. Yeah. That's his thing. And if you know of a Bigfoot footprint, he's looked at it. He, he has the cast of it, and he's looked at it. I'm telling you, Dr. Meldrum has looked at more feet than a podiatrist. I mean, yep. <laughs> this, this yep. guy's deal. So if for, this guy says it's legit, it's going to be legit. And and for him to to study this cast and say how profound this is that that they actually have this evidence, you know. I mean, you know, that's like uh, that's like a huge vote of confidence, not mm-hmm. not just for Josh Gates and and his expedition. For any researcher down the line that that's wanting to look into, uh, you know, cryptozoology and the discovery of a new species. Mm-hmm. So with with all of this information, if it's not a completely separate species, what could it possibly be? So at first, as we mentioned earlier uh, about the orangutans. Scientists thought that's what they were seeing because the description, especially the the size, um, the way they were able to get through the jungle so quickly, the reddish hair, um, that's what they originally thought. And orangutans were originally native to Vietnam. However, orangutans became extinct to Vietnam thousands of years before the war. Yeah. Okay. Not like 10 years before where there could have been some hanging around that didn't get the memo that, hey, mm-hmm. we're moving out. Um, no, thousands of years had gone by before there was any orangutans on Vietnam. So they really thought, uh, yeah, that, they're just seeing orangutans, but they weren't. You know, there's no orangutans around. Right. Right. Now, but as I mentioned earlier, Another animal that was considered a source was that white-cheeked gibbon. But the white-cheeked gibbon, as I mentioned, is too small to fit any of the descriptions of a larger rock ape. Yeah, coloration doesn't match. It doesn't, they don't walk upright. Um, They will for short distances, but they don't have the physiology to be able to walk upright for long distances right and and they certainly don't don't leap like what you would expect a bipedal animal to do um Mm -hmm. you know when you see you know an orangutan a gibbon any of these creatures they're the the longer armed primates and they they walk on four on all fours and especially if they were running and trying to get away you know where they could jump into trees and swing those are those type of uh, monkeys that we're talking about and they none of that the behavior the size the coloration none of it fits with the descriptions of the batutut or the rock ape right so i think that is low-hanging fruit 
that's well, we got a monkey there. They must have been seeing that monkey. All right, Matt, let's take a second and talk about one of our sponsors, Acorn TV. Now, I don't know if it's the accents, you know, like this, or if it's the T, or if it's the driving on the wrong side of the road, but no matter what it is, I love British TV. And I'm getting my fill, uh, and even more, thanks to Acorn TV, because Acorn TV is the largest commercial-free British streaming service that features compelling stories, exclusive premieres, and originals you won't find anywhere else. Right. Acorn TV has hundreds of exclusive shows from around the world, including award-winning mysteries, dramas, comedies, history, and so much more. The series you find on Acorn TV are cleverly written, visually striking, and feature renowned actors and hosts like David Tennant and Mary Berry. You get thousands of hours of new enthralling content on Acorn TV for a fraction of the cost compared to most streaming services at just $5.99 a month. And that's a fantastic value for what you're getting. And if you're like Adam and I and you enjoy British television, but we especially love British comedy, um, you you are not going to want to miss out on Acorn TV. I mean, you get all of that stuff. You know, it's... I mean, I used to love, I used to sit up with my dad and I would watch um, Last Last of the Summer Wine. You know, it's, you know, uh, Faulty Towers. Some of the greatest comedies uh, were British comedies. Right. So, you know, y- you love all those shows. Acorn TV is exactly what you need. And if you like mysteries, they have Queens of Mystery. Season 2 is out now. You can also uh, check out Season 1. But this Acorn TV original premieres on January 10th, and it's a British mystery with a fairy tale twist. So the Queens of Mystery follow the adventures of three crime-writing sisters, Beth, Kat, and Jane Stone, and their 28-year-old niece, Detective Sergeant Maddie Stone. Now, using their knowledge of crime, both real-world and fictional, together they solve murders in the picturesque English region of Wildmarsh. Now... No matter how many cases they are able to crack, the unsolved mystery that haunts all the characters is that of Maddie's mother's disappearance 25 years ago. So if you're into that kind of thing, into the mysteries, you need to check out Queens of Mystery on Acorn TV. So with Acorn TV, we always get our British fix, and you can too. Try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use our promo code GRAVE. That's G-R-A-V-E. That's right. You can try Acorn TV free for 30 days. All you got to do is go to acorn.tv. That's A-C-O-R-N dot TV and use our promo code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E. But you have to enter the code in all lowercase letters. So make sure that's G-R-A-V-E in all lowercase letters. Other explanations were actually chalked up to soldiers hallucinating, either from uh, overuse of marijuana, which was very common in Vietnam, or from just the extreme conditions, the stress, the heat, and all that, that it was just causing them to hallucinate. Now, I don't buy it. I don't either, and I'll tell you why. Because the way those stories are described, 
Um, none of that sounds like a hallucination. I mean, there there is interaction with multiple people. Okay. Yep. They're not all hallucinating this. Right. You know my thought on mass hallucinations, and that's what it would have to be. Yeah. These people would all have to be of the same brain to hallucinate the exact same thing at the exact same time. And I know marijuana use was pretty heavy in in Vietnam for for good reason. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, how much marijuana you got to smoke to hallucinate something like this? Right. You, that, that was it's my not thought. A, it's not a hallucinogen. No. So uh, unless they were, you know, finding some mushrooms along with it, they weren't hallucinating this. Right. That was that was my thought exactly. It's not it's psychoactive, but it's not psychoactive in the hallucination sense. Right. Right. It's not going to make you see stuff that isn't there. Yep. But finally, the theory is the rock apes are a humanoid creature that is native to the deep Vietnamese jungle, mm-hmm. only becoming visible when otherwise inha- uninhabited areas were flooded with soldiers. So as to why they haven't been discovered yet, locals are said to avoid the Vietnamese jungles to this day with the knowledge that there are thousands of live landmines that could be triggered with exploration. Mm-hmm. So the locals aren't worried about going in there. Okay. You're not finding a lot of people that are drumming up uh, funds to go research this. It's just kind of stuck. Right. And as cool as it would be to discover a new species, which if you think, man, you know, what are the chances that there's an actual unknown species of primate down there? Guess what? We discovered a new species of orangutan in 2017. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not uncommon to find well, a new it, species. Um, it can happen again. Guarantee it. God, I, 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 I there is a, there is an animal um, that is, uh, it's called a, a sallow or a, something like that. Have you heard of that? It was, uh, it, it almost looks like, um, like an ibex or something it's got oh yeah yep it's got the big long horns it was known as the asian unicorn yep and they say that that right there is the rarest mammal on earth okay yep when they discovered that you know there's you know it was probably already endangered and it's not small it's it's a huge yeah it's uh, a huge animal quadruped that moves around these jungles yeah so the whole idea of so much of cryptozoology is just taking an interest in finding new species. I yep. mean, that's people look, you know, when you mention cryptids or cryptozoology, people kind of look at you funny sometimes and you're like, okay, take all of your notions of people hunting for, you know, dragons and, crazy crap Loch like that, monster. Loch Ness Monster and all of that stuff. And and let's narrow it down to the concept of cryptozoology is discovering animals that we previously didn't have evidence that existed. Now, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it means hidden animals, yeah, basically. Yeah. So, again, this is one of these times on Graveyard Tales where we tell you, 
just have to open your mind a little bit. You you don't you don't have to be a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theory developing, um, you know, mother's basement living kind of person <laughs> to say, I I believe that there is a, an undiscovered species of primate that lives in the Vietnam Vietnamese jungle, mm-hmm. um, and we haven't discovered it yet because there's really a lot of good reasons why nobody's there looking. Yep. And the the way I I feel about it is when you take the um, anecdotal stories into account and how they say it could use fire and all this stuff. I, I look at it like we have some other um bipedal hominid sightings that I think it might be a branch off of one of the hominid trees Mm -hmm. and there's and and if you look at the foot morphology it's probably something that spends time in the trees Mm -hmm. of the the jungle but can walk on the ground and i think it it's one of the early hominid species that may have you know they thought all went extinct because they don't see any evidence of them but Maybe they didn't find any evidence of these because of where it lives. Mm-hmm. It's in the jungle, so you're not going to have people traipsing around in there. Plus, dead bodies, like we talked about in previous episodes, when something dies in the jungle like that, it is gone right within days. Yeah, through the the conditions, the animals, the insects. It's torn apart and gone within days. So you wouldn't find a body just laying around. The jungle takes it back. Exactly. And there could be a species of early hominid still living out in this jungle that is intelligent enough to make fire and have a language of its own. And they they live in troops and they are closer to apes than we are because it was an early branch off of that hominid tree. Mm-hmm. You know, that we have evidence of Neanderthals. We have evidence of Homo erectus. Mm-hmm. We have evidence of little pygmy humans on an island. Um, we have evidence of Australopithecus. All of these were branches of the hominid tree that quote unquote died out leaving only homo sapien sapien us right so what if what if there's still a branch living in the vietnamese jungle that nobody has seen and probably won't see i mean i I bet you we could we, we could go generations past us and still not see it unless somebody makes it a point to brave this jungle and the landmines the conditions, the the wait a minute vines that want to suck you up into the trees so that the big centipedes can eat you, and they actually go out there and look for it like right. they did with the the gorillas in the mountains. Right. Even Lauren Coleman has said that he thinks the Batutut are a surviving population of Homo erectus or Neanderthal. Yep. I mean. 
I, I, I don't know that I would say Neanderthal because of what we know about Neanderthal being as large as Neanderthal was. Um, these rock apes are stout, but they, they aren't described to be as big as Neanderthal was described. But I think he's on the right. Who am I to tell Lauren Coleman anything? You know That's what I mean? Right. But I mean, I'm I'm a moron compared to Lauren Coleman. But I, I, I just I think it might be another branch. He's on the same track I'm on. But I think it's just a, I, yeah. my opinion is that it's a different branch of the same tree. Yeah. And even though the rock apes specifically are found in Vietnam, there have been other sightings. Um, a, a, in the in the nations around Vietnam, of other, you know, hairy, bipedal, humanoid type creatures, um, that have slightly different descriptions. You know, we're talking about Borneo and Sumatra and those, but they all have them. Um, but they're they all seem to be a little bit different uh, from the Batutu. And if you think, if you listen to any of our shows on cryptids and you're like, I don't believe Bigfoot could exist because we've taken over too much of the U.S. and we live everywhere. We, we've looked at everything, even though there's there's places in the U.S. that we don't get to that aren't inhabited like some parts are. You have to admit that. If any unknown creature was going to exist, it would be in a jungle such as the jungles of Vietnam. Yep. I mean, because those are uninhabited for the most part. Yeah. They are dangerous and nobody wants to go searching. That's right. So if any, if anywhere was going to house unknown creatures, it would be a jungle like this. Yeah. Yeah. Much like the Arrain Pendek. Um, Yes. You know, it's so remote. And it's so challenging to even go and research that area that it 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 just goes without. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and we we go based on these anecdotal stories. But I tend to believe a lot of these anecdotal stories. Um, you know, they're very convincing, and and the fact that a large portion of them are coming from the U.S. military while serving there. Uh, gives them even uh, even more validity in my eyes. Right, right. Well, what do you guys think? Do you think it's possible that there is a, a, a an undiscovered species in in the jungles of Vietnam? Uh, I think yes. it's pretty clear. Oh, that you're not Adam, asking me. Adam and I, Adam and I do. <laughs> uh, what do you guys think? Um, let us know. And and the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. Um, we've got. Well over 6,000 members in the graveyard now. It is fantastic. Get in there and share some of your stories, some of your thoughts, some of your opinions. Heck, some of your jokes and stuff. We, we, always, mm-hmm. we always have a good laugh every day uh, while scrolling through the graveyard. Um, then you can slide over to our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And on our site, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show, and you can become a patron and we appreciate everyone who has donated uh, their hard-earned money to uh, to the show that Adam and I put out there. It it really makes a difference because it helps us uh, keep the show fresh. It helps us from 
you know, having 30 minutes worth of advertisements. Um, right. You know, and, and it, it allows us to keep the show free for you guys. And you guys are the reason we do this. Absolutely. Yeah. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.